welcome to Cameras or Whatever, the podcast for working professional photographers. Is that how it goes? I think so. I'm Tyler Stallman, and uh, and I'm Cameron Whitman. Yeah, and, and that's how we start shows. Those, yeah. I mean, we're we're professional photographers, not talkers, not professional <laughs> podcasters. <laughs> I, I want to have a quick shout out to Tim on Twitter, who's been starting the series from uh, the beginning. Uh, he was tweeting at me. I don't know if he did to both of us, but. He um, it was the first person that's mentioned that he started from the beginning of the series. So uh-huh. I think we've been trying to make it something that will kind of be listenable later. So, hey, Tim, uh, when you get to this episode, <laughs> did, did anything uh, expire and not sound uh, relevant anymore? <laughs> How fast did we get boring? Uh, yeah, like if <laughs> if we never hear back about this, then we know that we got boring. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So in the spirit of our sloppy introduction, uh, we, we also don't have a topic this week. No. That's but, because we're working professionals. <laughs> well, like, I'm really glad we always have that excuse. Yeah. I've, uh, I, got, I got lots of stuff to talk about, though. I'm going to start with what I was alluding to in previous episodes about the mm-hmm. commercial I was going to be shooting. All right. Because right. um, it was a really busy weekend for us on uh, Saturday. Oh, no, it started on Friday, I should say. We picked up rentals for the shoot. Mm-hmm. And that might've been the biggest part of the journey was dealing with rentals. So as usual, the camera rentals all came from Jordan over at the camera store. Um, and again, he's been on the show, the camera store TV on YouTube. Uh, and all, all of that was great. Um, at the, but then we also did lighting rentals. Um, so this is the first time I'd done a real crew like large, it's not a large crew, a very small crew commercial, but usually I'm doing completely independent stuff where it's like me and Anya and our assistant Alan, and that's it. And we're making a little movie, but -hmm. this time there was enough budget to have a, so my crew, like just on the video side was me uh, directing and doing DOP stuff. Alan was a camera operator and general all around assistant, just kind of making things happen all over the place. And he was awesome. And then we had a girl gaffing, uh, doing kind of general lighting technician activities, um, mm-hmm. and a uh, another girl doing sound. Uh, sorry, Cheska and Lauren were the other two. In case they listen to one credit, they were both they were <laughs> all awesome. And so gear wise, that meant I was kind of able to expand a little because I knew I wasn't going to have to do it all myself. Somebody could be managing the lighting and the audio as we went along so I could grow the, the lighting kit and stuff a bit more. Um, nice. Did you see my, my tweet with the photo of this? Yeah, I did. I'm going to include that in show notes because um, <laughs> I basically asked for the small lighting kit. I wanted a bunch of fluorescent lights, <laughs> uh, kinos, right. which some photographers use. They're very standard lights, especially in modern video production. And that's what I really wanted to shoot with. And there was a kit that came with four Kino flows and a couple of HMIs and, um, you know, stands and and sandbags. And that's how it was described to me. And that sounds great, right? Mm -hmm. But what it really meant was tons of stands. Every HMI has a massive ballast that's five times as big as the light. And the lights were enormous. And then they all had a big box full of um, lenses for each light. And then the cables, like the cabling for the HMIs, each one weighed, you know, five to 10 pounds, depending on the, the gauge. And so 
um, what was described as fitting in one car ended up taking three. And um, basically, I had way more gear than I could handle and needed. And um, that sounds awful. <laughs> yeah, it was it was it was weird, like reversal of being really excited about gear and then all of a sudden it's yeah, careful what you wish for because then all of a sudden you're buried in it. yeah pretty soon you're digging trying to dig yourself out and you don't know what yeah. to do and the reason for all this with stuff a is small crew cheap. yeah exactly now all of a sudden i'm like wishing the crew was a little bigger <laughs> but the uh the, the reason for all this is it was much cheaper to get the kit huh. uh for, for whatever reason than build than building it up so to build the small kit i would have liked one item at a time would have cost more apparently um Anyway, that's weird. Yeah, so we have three cars uh, overloaded with gear, and then while we were shooting, we really just used the Kinos, which was a really wonderful experience. I hadn't done a full shoot with them before. We would have uh, two four-foot banks, and each one has four fluorescent lights in it. Yeah, and then uh, so yeah, sorry, two four-foots and two two-foots. Um, and that was like a that was a really wonderful kit. Like I feel like I could use that for most things and they're each one's like a pretty large softbox on its own so you just mm-hmm. turn it on and you've got some very soft light and, and very versatile too because you can add it's not as soft as like a um as a fully diffused softbox i'd say but one more layer of diffusion and then it is like you just kind of put a piece of paper over it in your in your set so just like diffusion paper exactly yeah and, oh, and so they don't get really thin yeah and they don't get crazy hot like compared to a hot light they're not that hot so you can um, put them in more places and get closer to them and uh, they don't you know r- nope. make the room unlivable right um, that's good yeah that's good. so uh, you know for anybody a lot of people use these every single day and it, but they were completely new to me so i don't know my first impressions were that i would i wish i could replace my um strobe kit with it and just have like a crossover like one kit to to take all my photos and videos and that's Unfortunately, it's probably not going to happen because the output <laughs> isn't enough, right? Right. Like, have you ever shot with the uh, stills I've, with hot lights much? Um, yeah, uh, not a lot, but and not recently. It's been yeah. a long time. Yeah, there there are many reasons to do it, unless you're also combining some kind of video component. I don't know. I know, I know some people do, but it, I, I think the, the the main problem with there is is the hot part, right? Mm-hmm. So. For styling certain things like food, I think that having a nice, hot, consistent light where you can see exactly what it's going to do um, in an accurate way. And like, I think modeling lamps sometimes fail me mm. um, or I get the wrong impression from it. Right. But hot lights, you know, you can kind of get a, a more accurate idea of what you're looking at. But yeah, hot. Yeah. Right. I mean, 500 watt bulbs, you know, mm. I mean, that stuff uh, in, a, in, a, in a room. That's enclosed, <laughs> like that. It's gonna melt. It's gonna melt your ice cream. Oh yeah, totally. In in addition to being hot, they also take up all your electricity. Like in when we're using them in our studio here, we basically I, I have a small kit with four lights, and if they're all plugged in, my breaker might go. Like it's right at the limit of the power that I have available. I believe that in the studio. So, but uh, do, do you remember uh, Kelly Klein at iStock? I do, yeah. yeah she, I, I know at one point she was doing all of her food photography with hot lights. Yeah, I believe it. So weird to me because, yeah, it would spoil everything so fast. <laughs> but uh, but well, there's advantages yeah. to it too, right? Like you being able to see. I think that um, somebody like Kelly was probably using quite a lot of pre-visualization and then just like setting everything up and then dropping the food in, you know? Mm-hmm. And I don't know. She was a real professional. Mm-hmm. 
Right. I see. Yeah, I see what you mean. So, like, you just kind of put some empty plates with plastic fruit there, let the plastic melt, and then you put in your real stuff. <laughs> That's right. Mm, okay. Something. Something very similar. To <laughs> you, you tell them a professional too. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I've been curious about those Kino Flow myself. Um, one of our, another one of our mutual friends is uh, Kareem Perales, KK Gas. Uh, he also uses the Kino Flow. I don't know how often he uses it, but mm-hmm. like I, you know, saw it in his in his room one day while I was talking to him, mm-hmm. and and uh, you know, like he was just he swears by him. He says that they're amazing. Oh, well, I should yeah. chat with him about it how it's working out for stills because you know it would really be it would be great to be able to use the same kit for everything. Um, mm-hmm. I'd really enjoy that, but I just am never sure if it that's uh, realistic. What are your strobes? Alien bees, all alien bees. Oh, that's right. Yeah, you have the um, the original. What do you have, like the B800s or B16? Yeah, uh, a whole bunch of 800s and 400, one 400 in a ring light. Mm, yes, I just got the, um, the no, two of the Einsteins. And oh, replaced, yeah, yeah. Re- replaced my 800s. Oh, with awesome. Those. I've been hearing so many people recommend them lately. They're awesome. Yeah. I mean, for the money, it can you beat it? I don't think so. Mm-hmm. I really don't. Tell me about it. Tell me what you love. Accuracy, consistency, hmm. you know, being able to actually control the um, the the Kelvin temperature is is pretty awesome. Do, do, how much? How much control do you have over it? I don't know. I've never read this. I haven't really had to use that too much, but you know, like I think that um, I don't, I couldn't tell you what I was doing because I was just <laughs> kind of freewheeling it, mm-hmm. um, and it was just kind of working. But um, I was shooting a portrait, and I needed just a really soft rim light. And, um, you know, both, both the Einsteins were set to 5,500K. And it was just the, the backlight was looking odd. And it was kind of weird. And so I just, I was like, okay, well, I'll just cool it down a little bit. And so I cooled it down and, and like it <laughs> didn't notice it as much. And uh-huh. I might have been drinking. <laughs> so maybe you weren't cooling anything down at all. I'm just saying, it's just a, you know, like if, if I don't know what I'm talking about, it's because I might not know what I'm talking about. <laughs> well, if they do that, that'd be really interesting. The thing I've been hearing about them recently is that they have, what, faster sync speeds? Is that true? Um, I believe they do. I haven't tested. Maybe we should come back to this after we've read the website. <laughs> well, that's the problem with them, okay? Is that, like, when you go from having, you know, straight up alien bees mm-hmm. and you go to the Einstein, it's like, oh my God. It turns into an algebraic equation. They're called Einsteins for a reason. Yeah, they they require a lot of. Uh, I mean, the 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 manuals are huge, hmm. and I'm also using the Cyber Commander. Oh yeah, you, you were telling me about that, which sounds great. That's like to you can set all your levels remotely and stuff. Right? It's amazing, but also it's really complicated. Like you look at the thing, and you think, oh, this will be great. It's just really easy up and down, whatever you know. Mm-hmm. On your on your light groups, and uh, it's a little bit more involved than that. And there's quite a lot of menus, a lot of options, and you know, getting to getting around to understanding it takes a pretty consistent effort. And mm-hmm. I've been I've been trying. I've been doing some more studio work lately, um, with, intentionally, um, and not just you know for uh, headshots and whatever, because that's all I'd, I think that that's all I had been using my my lights for for like the past two years. Right. Is just doing headshots with a very, very occasional, um, you know, a time when I was supplementing like a food shoot or something else, you know. Mm. And so I hadn't really done that much with lighting and I was kind of thinking about just ditching it all. Um, and then I work with this theater in town and they, they had gone on hiatus for a year. 
and then they just got back. Well, they're rebuilding their theater. Okay, okay. so they were off for a year. Um, so then they just got back into action, and they called me up, and they're like, "All right, well, we're ready to get back into production." And so we were going to do some more um, posters for them. And I'd always used the Alien Bees with the um, Pocket Wizard. What are those jammies? The Flex TT5. Right, yeah, the uh, the ones that do some TTL stuff, like the auto-E ones. That's right. And yeah. um, I was using those with the um, AC9 or adapters for the Alien Bees. Okay. And Christ, they've just failed <laughs> constantly. Mm. And it was embarrassing because like, there was always these situations where I'm working with these people and I look like I don't know what I'm doing because <laughs> I'm sitting there oh, constantly like yeah. having to reset my lights to try to get them to sync again. I think we've and, all been there. Oh, it was the worst though, because it was all every time, you know. And then once it started going, it'd be fine. But then as soon as you changed your light setup and you had to do something different, you run the risk of if you had to unplug and move, then you'd run the risk of having to go through that whole thing again to get them back, you know, into a groove or whatever. I'm not, I have no idea why they failed so much, but it was annoying. At a recent shoot, I was using, I used the much simpler pocket wizards, the like traditional boring ones. And I was I was having them fail, I think, just due to battery issues. Um, but I, yeah, I didn't, had no time to diagnose it. It was a really rushed shoot, so we were trying to move, and everybody's watching me. And um, every time I'd move the lights, again, it would start to fail, and then I'd replace the batteries in between. So I kept thinking I'd fixed it, mm-hmm. but I just kept the sync cable sitting right beside it. And basically each time I'd set up the lights, shoot for a minute or two, the pocket wizards would die and I just jump over to a cable because yeah. <laughs> I had no time to diagnose it. But yeah, I, I definitely don't go anywhere without a cable in my bag for exactly those reasons. Right. And that's, <laughs> that's so funny that you bring that up because that would have been an option. Mm-hmm. But, you know, like um, when I bought the pocket wizards, you know, I had I'd only had one long sync cable left. Because the some of the all the other ones that came with the original Alien Bees had perished along the way. Because mm-hmm. those things do not necessarily keep, especially under heavy use. That's right. And so I guess I, you know, in the beginning, I, I was always using the cables, so they were getting a lot of use. And so I only had one of them, and that finally broke. So then it was like I was just too dumb or lazy or whatever to buy a backup cable because I was stubborn. I was thinking like, well, I spent hundreds of dollars on this stupid radio system Mm -hmm. and i want it to work it's going to solve all of my problems yeah no but yeah the cyber commander is is a dream i think that in terms of whatever the radio technology it's it's much simpler but like i said the computer part of it is quite complicated there's a lot of things you can do with it and i think that once you get comfortable with it and you've spent enough time knowing what you need and what you can do with it. I think it's it's quite the amazing system, actually. It's funny because my first impression or the impression I always have of those is when I look at them, they just look too ugly to work well. <laughs> but look it's like funny because that's actually the, that's the whole, you, that's how you sum up alien bees. Like you look at them and it's like, really? This is, this is what everybody's raving about? Uh, but then after you use them for 10 years. <laughs> it, it's so punk rock though. Yeah. And that's what I, I don't know, like, I, I think that I agree. I, I remember looking at the cyber commanders for years and just thinking, like, no, that looks ridiculous. Like, it just didn't, it how felt can, like using how can I be a professional camera. and use this? Yeah, exactly. That's, that's the thing. Um, but, you know, in, in, in use, <laughs> they're amazing. And they, they go on any active hot shoe, and it, and it works perfectly. And um, doesn't matter what the camera is. Like with the Pocket Wizards, you know, you'd have to buy them for Canon or buy them for Nikon or whatever. 
And then um, the other thing is that I can use it with all my film cameras as well because I'll, you know if you just use the the cable. At this point, I wonder what it would take for me to upgrade my lights. Like, what could possibly make me feel like I actually need to replace Alien Bees with, say, Pro Photos? Win the lottery? Yeah, you know, it, like that's what it feels like, though. Like, well, you already, I know they're not perfect. I see small issues with them all the time. I am very aware that they are. There, you know, you get mixed results sometimes. Sometimes they're not completely consistent. They, um, you can't adjust them from a distance. There's all these little things they're missing. But still, at the end of the day, it's like, do I want to go out and spend three or four thousand dollars to get exactly what I have now in a more professional brand? And the right. answer is always no, because I'd rather spend that money on a new camera or a new lens or. Well, so I do believe. And, and I, I'm not sure I can really tell you why. It's just one of those things that you feel. But I do believe that the the quality of light from these is nicer. Yeah, I, you know, I hear people that use them say that. Mm-hmm. But I've never known if it is true or what they say because they spent all the money. I'm telling you that the going from one system and doing the exact same thing with it, mm-hmm. with, which was headshots, the quality was different. It's hard, it's hard for me to tell you exactly how or why. Well, there is that whole spectrum of light thing that we were talking about recently where it makes a bigger difference. And in really professional environments, full spectrum light becomes important because you won't be capturing all colors equally if your light, like uh, cheap LEDs being a great example, does not um, project the full the full color spectrum equally right. you might get usually be like less punchy in one area like your reds or your blues just fall a little flatter there's less depth to them there's less detail right, in them. color is just a reflection of of whatever the uh the light mm-hmm. is right that's yeah so you know that's probably true but i don't know i still always feel like yeah that you know like that sounds like maybe it's true but it, it doesn't jump out at me and if, I, if it's not completely clear to me looking at people's photos that do shoot pro photo, like comparing them to great photographers using pro photos compared to great photographers using alien bees, there isn't this like, wow, the color depth is just so much more present. No, the only thing you see that's different is whether or not it was a great photographer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, and it's I think one that of those, that's like, really the, the bottom line, right? Because a great photographer will make anything work. So yeah, I think it, like it could take a great photographer the, that lasts like 5% in really refining their craft. So mm-hmm. maybe when I've really mastered the other 95% of strobe lighting, then that's time. But isn't that the same truth with lens technology too, though? I mean, like, yeah. you know, you see people that shoot crappy lenses mm-hmm. that take amazing photos all the time. Yeah, of course. And also, and probably more true, you see people who have incredible lenses that take the worst photos. It's almost like... <laughs> yeah, that might be more common. I think it is, actually. Because you think about it, and it's just like, they're precision instruments, right? Uh, you have to understand what how a lens operates, depending on like the focal length that you're at and the distance that you're at from the, from the subject and all these things. All these things matter. Mm-hmm. And how much um, specific distortion your lens might have, and how much fall off, all these things matter. Like you can either play them to your advantage or watch them ruin your photography. I think that you can really see it in cinema lenses because anybody that is using cinema lenses is very aware of the super professional stuff. In in stills, the really professional stuff is accessible. 
you know, you spend $2,500 and you have the best uh, Canon L series lens there is. And that's, you know, that's quite a bit of money, but it's not that much compared to a $30,000 cook lens, which right. is kind of normal in the, in the film industry because, um, you know, they'd be rented or they'd be owned by a large production house. Like it's not individuals buying these things. And that's that same thing of getting like that last 5% or maybe, you know, I don't know, maybe 20% in those cases, but like you're getting the last bit of amazing quality that you just can't get out of a $2,000 lens. Um, you know, or, or maybe like a lenses as well. There's a, that's yeah, I was just going to make that comparison. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that, um, yeah, I think it's a graduation thing. I, I really don't think that it's going to do you any good to to bump up your lens until you've reached the the ceiling on the one that you're using. Mm-hmm. Once you've really mastered whatever you have, then you'll actually notice the difference when you when you upgrade. For lenses, though, there actually another point that you would need to upgrade lenses would be if you jack up your megapixels much. Oh, totally. I yeah. think most mega, most modern lenses are very comfortable in the 25 megapixel range. But once you start getting to the 40, 50, like the uh, megapixel area, like the new 5D and the new uh, A7 that have, you know, very high megapixel counts, then uh, like even older L-series lenses aren't sharp enough to resolve what the cameras are able to. Well, I think that's been true for a while, yeah. you know, with the like D eight hundred and stuff like that. Oh, like you right can't now. you can't use a, a cheap lens on that camera that looks worse than a crappy camera. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it's <laughs> there's a lot to know. I thought I saw a news thing the other day that you guys are getting you guys being Nikon the was it twenty four to seventy two eight with image stabilization. Yep, finally. that looks really great. That's exciting for you. Not for me. Well, it's it too expensive. I'm not gonna. Oh, how much? Oh, I don't know. I mean, the the original one was like eighteen hundred, brand new. So mm-hmm. this one's got to be like twenty two. Yeah, yeah <laughs> I'm that's, what, that's what the Canon is. But it's still always on my wish list, <laughs> even without the image stabilization. That Canon's always on my wish list. So yeah, I don't know. I you, mean, you I've, buy enough. If you buy, if you bought two less film lenses, uh, cameras a year, you you can have one if you really wanted it. Oh come on! I buy cheaper <laughs> cameras than that. My cameras are like most of them cost less than three hundred dollars. Okay, okay. So yeah. <laughs> so if you bought five less per year, <laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, the the only one that I bought that actually was expensive. Well, I guess not the only I one. I mean, the Mia is like what did you say? It's under a thousand, right? No, it was eleven hundred. Oh, just so over that was that was the most expensive one. Mm-hmm. But That's the, you know, the the Nikon FM three A was, I think. Uh, well, I bought it with a lens, and it was six hundred. And you know, it's really curious because the uh, I don't know how familiar you are with the the Nikon film not body. But, yeah, so like the F series goes on for forever like if you start to look up all of the different models of of Nikon F series cameras you know it's not just the F and then you know the FM and the FE and the FM2 and the FM3A and like I mean it it actually goes on way further than that and it just gets to this point where you're like wait I have no idea what we're talking about it <laughs> you know like what can this possibly do cuz these are like almost entirely manual cameras that have Basically, comparatively, no features. Was it a situation where they just needed to push out the new one each year, and then? Oh, I have to imagine that that's what it is. Kind of what Canon was doing lately. So, yeah, there's just like little tiny tweaks, and I guess that's still true. Because I mean, like, why do we have 
the 3000, 5000, 7000 series on Nikon. You know, they're just, it's like two different levels of, of camera series that like intersect in terms of being consumer prosumer. It just seems, it just seems like a waste of, of a lot of effort and time mm-hmm. on their part. They could be making stuff that's way cooler if they, you know, just tighten up and, and make three levels or four levels of cameras. Cause uh, I don't know. I think that uh, I, I read a, a a blurb today, and I didn't actually read the article. I just saw the name of the article, and it really got my head moving. And it was just that our cameras doomed to become luxury items. Yeah, I saw that title too, and then I thought of it. I didn't read it. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't read it, but like I just I th- I thought about it, and I was just like, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know, and it, I think I also read under that it's if if they already are not, mm-hmm. if they're not already luxury items. And I was just thinking, like, yeah, you know, like that's really kind of true because, and uh, the person that that I saw that shared it, it's probably the same person, but I think that he was making a comment about, or at least he had quoted a part of the article that was talking about most digital cameras that the or DSLRs that people buy. They don't even know how to use like ninety percent of the features, and they just end up shooting the thing on auto all the time, mm-hmm. which is bad. <laughs> yeah. It's just like there's just no logical reason for owning that camera. Well, I don't, I'm, not, I'm not sure about that. I've I've recommended, especially when people are, let's say, this is the most common example: is somebody's having a baby, mm-hmm. and they're like, "I want to really document this, and um, you know, have the best record I can of their early years." I usually put, well, now maybe I'd point them to, say, a Micro Four Thirds, which is kind of becoming the new SLR. But I definitely try to get them into a larger sensor all the time. Because I think if anybody's, if you stay with a point, anything in the point and shoot range, at this time in technology, mm-hmm. you're still giving up on a lot compared to shooting a SLR on full auto. Mm-hmm. That's true. And like, yeah, it's, it's, it's wasted potential because the device might be able to do way more, but it's the sensor really like you can't, you can't get it without you. You need to get that bigger camera to get that last mile of amazing image quality that no point and shoots have really caught up with yet. Not yet. Or cell phones. (laughs) Will cell phones catch up? Um, No, no. Yes. I mean, in terms of physics, is it possible (laughs) on an infinite time scale? Yeah. Right. I'm, well, they won't. They won't be in our phones. They'll just be in our eyes, right? Something like that. Yeah, you know, something completely the, sing- the singularity. Yeah, <laughs> there'll be some new concept. The concept of photography is really what is going to completely change. Like doing long-term predictions with this stuff is kind of useless because our paradigms about it are probably just completely wrong. We still imagine them as little devices that you buy at Best Buy and stick in your pocket, yeah. and realistically something that is just different from that is how we will be using them. Like nobody predicted the cell phone thing, right? right. That this or, totally or, multi-purpose uh, tool in your pocket. Sure. Or the, the light field cameras. Mm, yeah. Oh, that's a great example actually. Cause probably, okay. Cell phones, you know, Star Trek kind of had those multi-purpose communicators mm-hmm. that uh, did multiple things, but um, yeah, like, uh, you know, selectable focus and, um, after the fact, yeah, exactly. And, uh, in camera HDR and those sort of, um, or the 3d mapping stuff where, you know, take a few different exposures at different angles and then uh, you can, you're take basically taking a 3d photo instead. Like there's going to be things like that, that 
that mean that, you know, maybe the, re- it, it's hard to say, maybe the new cons paradigm is uh, that you take them through your eye, but maybe it's that a photo is a, a hologram, um, you know, or maybe it's that we all like to have Harry Potter moving photos or, you know, I don't know. Like, Gross. Yeah. But something, something will happen that we have no idea about right now. And we can't even speculate on because we right. are, we're, we're dumb in the present. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. We're running out of space. Well, yeah, and our hard drives are going to run out because these holograms are going to take it all. I'm, de- I'm cleaning, cleaning up hard drive space all day today. Um, so kind of off topic from that, but maybe. <laughs> Were we is, ever on topic this, this episode? Well, I'm just jumping jumping from one thing to the next. Yeah, do it, jump the shark. Anyway, we ordered some prints. And um, for, well, let me think. Okay, so they're not going to be listening to this, so I think it's safe. Okay, so um, for my wife ordered some prints for her um, coworkers because she's leaving her current position and stepping into a new one. And so she uh, she has a great relationship with these people, and so she wanted to get them a, a little going away thing. And then she decided that, hey, you know, some, some uh, DC-centric prints, specifically, you know, cherry blossoms and the spring feeling, of DC, which is very popular, mm-hmm. um, would be a nice gesture and it would be great in their offices or whatever, you know? So I was like, yeah, sure, let's do that. So we picked out some photos that we both liked. And of yours? we, yeah, of mine. Um, and then we had them printed and we, they just showed up today and we had them all printed um, on, we did the wood prints from uh, Bay Photo. Are you familiar with Bay Photo? No, not at all, but I could kind of guess what. All right. Well, Bay Photos, you know, obviously in the uh, San Francisco area, <laughs> um, but they they do really great print work. Um, it's not like trendy or flashy or anything. It's just solid and professional. And every time I've ever ordered anything from them, it's come back with perfect colors and really just really nice. <laughs> and it's also very inexpensive. Hmm. So I've 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 just always been a huge fan regardless of them not being on any kind of bandwagon. So um, we ordered the, these wood prints and that's the other thing is they offer so many products that there's a lot that you can just kind of go like, I don't know about that. But um, we ordered some wood prints previously for our house because we just thought it would be kind of neat. Mm-hmm. And get them right now. Yeah. And, and uh, I think that, you know, you have to be, wise in what you choose to have printed on wood because you're definitely going to lose something. Like do your whites go yellow? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you're going to lose some things and um also like I think you're going to also lose a little bit of the detail because of the way that the texture looks. It's just going to kind of change how the the everything feels. But all of the shots were the basically the same subjects, but two of them were were digital shots and one of them was a film shot. Mm-hmm. And um the film shot actually had the smallest total resolution in terms of the file that I gave them. Right. Um, and the detail and just like the way that it, that it came off on perceived the, detail. Yeah, exactly. Cause they were all on the same surface and they were all the same kind of subject and colors. And wow, the one just looked way better than the other two. Mm-hmm. And it just felt like you could fall into it. Where the others didn't have the same kind of a depth feeling in in it, and uh, it was just kind of interesting because then it got me thinking about this um, this article that I read last week that I shared on my Twitter 
um, which was probably grossly inaccurate, by the way. I thought it was a fun read, and so I shared it, but like, I'm pretty sure that his numbers were <laughs> quite off because he was talking about like the real resolution of film. Yeah, I started reading it and then uh, got bored. Yeah. Um, I was more intrigued by the comments that followed mm-hmm. the article. I thought that the comments were, were that's, you know, because then you hear the people who want to prove that they're smarter. Right. Yeah. Um, so then you really do hear some, some interesting conjecture. But, um, it just made me think about how, you know, the way that we read resolution and, you know, I never look at things printed. Yeah. You know, cause everything I do is digital. So like I, I, it, well, I just I think rarely, you're not the only one. right. So I rarely see something that's an actual print and all of the other shots that I had done on woodprints, I loved them, but they, all of them were also filmed. So I had nothing to compare it. So it was kind of an interesting thing to, to notice, you know, to see that how much nicer film printed. And it just makes me more curious because, you know, now that I'm shooting more larger formats. Oh, right. Yeah. You know, like I, I uh, want to shoot some stuff that I might want to print. The, the most amazing prints that I've seen in uh, museums or in galleries have always been large format film. Like it, I never see really incredible photography artwork that was shot on just like a medium format digital um bertinsky what's what's the first name he's canadian he's great landscapes don't know no you you should look him up uh he's really really um amazing prints and again just very large format and infinite depth in the printing it's um maybe it's something about you know a physical medium being from beginning to end instead of um well of course it's resolution so you know i don't i'm not very wise about resolution entirely but i i do get the the idea that our screens that we're looking at have a maximum resolution and that is oftentimes far less than than the resolution of the images that we have right. um and particularly when you're looking at something that's shot on large format I mean, these things are. I don't even know how to 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 uh, relay that in no, no megapixels. Me yeah, and what, it's huge. And what I caught by that article of yours was, uh, you know, whether overall it was really that accurate or not. That the idea of doing a direct one to one comparison of megapixels to um, a digital, uh, sorry, megapixels to a film format, the way we usually think about it is deeply flawed, and I believe that. Mm-hmm. I do too. Well, I'm jealous because I'm still shooting on totally normal 35 millimeter uh, digital all the time because I that's all I have time to do. Well, I don't have time to do it either. Well, but you're doing it and it looks great. You showed me that four by five portrait the other day. Yeah, which I think thankfully I had you to to help me um, to figure out how to you, color correct it because I was just having I was so struggling. That one you've got to put in the show notes because. Well, I will. I mean, well, we're talking. I'll do. About I'll this, show so. you the. We'll show the before and the after because, um, yeah. So it was shot four by five um, on Kodak Portrait four hundred, and um, you know, like I, I was lab processed, and then you know, got it back and scanned it on my Epson flatbed, and uh, you know, I use ViewScan, which is, in terms of reviews, I think is probably the 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 favored software for mm-hmm. scanning. Um, you know, and like, I, I think it's, I think it's all right. 
Um, but I don't, I don't, I guess I just don't, I've never really used Silverfast. So I've just only heard that it was like the worst thing ever. Right. But in any case, the, the, the file that I got out of, out of, or that I get out of the um, scanner, they're always like really contrasty. And, uh, and also the colors tend to be oversaturated and contrasty. And then you can dial it all back and you can end up with some stuff that looks really incredible. And when I, the effect of that that I was seeing was the blacks were just totally crushed. That was the, like, the kind of, and so that, that's what was causing it, you're saying? Not all of it. No. So what did you do to solve it? We had this before. We'll, we'll look at this before image. Um, the, the shirt, which is where all the blacks are, were there was no detail. And and how right. did you end up pulling it out? So well, with the with the in the okay. So with the blacks, I ended up just um, using the paintbrush and Lightroom. Oh, okay. And, so it was in the scan. Yeah. It was he, yeah. It was hiding. Yeah, and and, and it, you saw that it it all came out. Like I don't like all of the shirt texture was in there. It was it actually came out really nice because mm-hmm. when you see the first scan you're thinking no way <laughs> right mm-hmm. the the highlights you're thinking no way it's all blown out the the blacks are you know black um and so it's kind of shocking what ended up coming out but the real the real trick was that i hadn't used the channels on um on the tone curve in god i don't know 6 years <laughs> Because I do everything digital, and I feel like I just it, everything is so easy to get color corrected, mm-hmm. you know that I don't need to to go into that that tool. And so it's been a really long time since I'd even thought about it. And uh, that was the trick, <laughs> you know. You showed me a, a couple things, and then like you know, I went back and started playing. And you know, since then, <laughs> I've corrected about six different images. Well, I find that's that's always the thing of just working with someone else or watching what somebody else does is like that's that's just really default behavior to me. Like, I don't think it's an advanced thing I do at all. It's just kind of the way that I look at it. And I know that there are things that you do every single day that you're completely bored of. But if I were to see you do it, it would you know all of a sudden we oh like it would change. <laughs> like oh my god, I need to. Take put this into my workflow immediately, right? Like, um, how do I change? How do I incorporate this? Yeah, and that's something I miss about when we used to have uh, I stock photo events all the time. Is every time I'd pick up something, yeah, or that's, a dozen things, or things not to do, yeah, yeah. <laughs> or pick up bad habits, <laughs> right? Uh, but uh, usually not. Usually, um, you, you realize something you're doing was stupid, or you know, I want to oh, actually, totally. I want to touch on. Thought of bringing Alan, um, who, as I was mentioning, is kind of my assistant. I don't know if that's the right word, but on the shoot was uh, the camera operator. And he is, he's 17 now. So, you know, he's a kid and is just, he's really great. He's been working on a lot of independent film sets lately. Um, And that's not something I was ever able to do. I, um, when I was young, when I was his age, I didn't know anything. And I guess I wasn't trying hard enough. I was doing more j- digital stuff. I was doing more like, um, uh, website production. So I never got to work at 17. On, uh, no, I guess. Well, yeah, but like at a low level, not, not in any professional way, but yeah, I mean, I was starting to do it. I'd made like some videos in high school and stuff. Uh, like I made our class graduation video. That was the first like big video project I did. But it was no good like, compared to what he's doing. Like, he's working on real shoots, you know, and he was, he was the camera operator on uh, this real, you know, for me, it was my first real commercial and he's 17 and he was the one running the camera like that. Wow. That's really, that's really great. 
But because he's been on all these real shoots and I just do everything independent, he was constantly correcting me with what are actually basic workflow things on a film set, just basic set etiquette that I don't, I've maybe read about it, but it's not drilled into me. You know, like I've never had somebody yell at me for doing it wrong. And I probably should (laughs) have. Yeah, totally. No, that's, it's a really interesting point. Yeah. So, I mean, so I have my 17 year old assistant completely correcting me every time that I forget to change the scene number on our slate or that when (laughs) I'm calling out the slate instead of him, I'm saying the wrong things. And like, uh, yeah, you know, it's, I just, I really was like jealous of his, his entry into the industry going through this more, I don't know, this really intense learning period of, working with people that are are working at a really high level. Like I think that is just the fastest, best way to learn stuff is work with people that are so much further ahead than you that you kind of are stumbling at first. And then all of a sudden you just have to keep up with them. So you do. No, I totally agree with that. hundred percent. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, whenever I watch him, it just makes me feel uh, like I need to try harder. So anyway, but yeah, I I want, I wanted to bring him on uh, the show. Maybe I'll do that sometime because he's, he's been, he's been cool. The kids, my yeah. God. Oh God, these kids. They're going to take over our podcast soon too. Well, and you know, I mean, I think that they, you know, we'll, we'll still appeal to our, you know, our dinosaur friends, mm-hmm. I guess, but let's face it, you know, like the kids today, I don't know. I think I see something different in, in the, in the young people mm-hmm. in terms of like the, the, the quality of work that they produce and the, you know, the intellectual prowess even. And I don't know, like, I just, I feel that like they came up in a different generation where like maybe they didn't have it as good in, in, uh, in certain ways that, that we did when, when we were kids. Yeah. Like I think that we probably had more fun, <laughs> but I feel like they're quite a bit more intelligent. <laughs> well, I can also see and this, talented. like in the case of getting this job, mm-hmm. I relative to who I w- would have been compete. I mean, I don't know exactly who I was competing with to get this job, but I would have been the kid. You know, like a a thirty year old, super independent. Or no, wait, how old am I? My thirty one, thirty one, thirty one year old. How old are you? Independent director that hasn't done a whole lot of projects. Um, I you know I was the I'm the young choice because you know this this was a company that could could afford a real production company and probably the, like I would have been a more affordable option because. Usually when you're directing a real commercial, especially when it would have been for TV, if it's a serious project, you've been on a crew for years. You don't become a director by deciding you want to and making your own things and then just getting the job. That never used to happen. This is really weird that I'm able to do this at all. Um, you're mm-hmm. supposed to go and work for other people and pay your dues and for, right. for good reason. So. Um, isn't that isn't that how like the entire like our entire society was built? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And now all of a sudden it's like, oh, you got a lot of Instagram followers. Well, uh, we'll give you the job. That's not how I got this job, <laughs> but uh, you know, it's it, just the ways that 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 people hire for jobs, the ways that these things get produced. Um, yeah, it's just it really is changing so fast. Well, and I think that that I, I guess you could probably say it with any of the arts, you know, but. Yeah, probably any of the arts really is that like, you know, master and apprentice was, it was always a factor, you know, and I think that now it's kind of a curious change, right? Mm-hmm. 
you know, because mm-hmm. now it's like, uh, well, go to university. It's like, well, you, you know, art is is really hard to teach in that way. You know, that'd be the interesting conversation to have with Alan. Actually, is he's just about to start his, uh, college in the film program of where I went to school, and it's this hard thing for him because he's also got all these awesome work opportunities. Like he could just be on set starting now and then have a career, right? right. He, he doesn't have to go. Um, and so it's an interesting choice for him. It's like, do I just start working and, and build my career out from there? Or is it worth it to do a couple of years of, uh, you know, I, I think that could be an interesting conversation. I think it could be too. I also, I don't know. I'm just kind of curious about like now my, I'm thinking about, Photography and education, mm. right? And I mean, we could go on about different arts, but this is a photography podcast. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. You know, like I, I, I counter. <laughs> I almost went to a photography trade school, and uh, I had a photography professor tell me that, that that I was crazy, and that was a really terrible idea, and so I didn't do it. Now, I don't know. I, I guess I just I have a different perception of, of what that means to go to one of these trade schools and, and learn like mm. whatever it is that they teach. And pay you know a hundred grand to do it, you know. So whenever I I hear people talk about that as is like you know what they did, how they got there, you know, like well I'm trained, you know, like I I learned from this academy or whatever, right? Um, and I I just I usually think like well what's your excuse then, you know, like well what you know <laughs> right, why aren't you a million times better than right? I like why aren't you killing this? Um, and I, I think that, you know, and then the flip side of that is, uh, you know, like we just, we just brought in this kid over at Stocksy, you know, I think he's 19 and, um, you know, he shoots landscapes and he does it just so honestly and just amazing. Right. You just, you see his photos and you're like, those are really beautiful. And then you, you're like, he's 19. And then it, you're like, hey. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. like those stories you hear about like the child prodigies who, who can play like jazz piano at like 13 and you, you know you listen to them play and it sounds like an old soul playing that music and it's kind of a similar thing where you know i see i think it's just because of you know my occupation that i see so many different photographers of different age groups and 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 interest and you know sometimes these kids and they're like well where, where did you learn photography and i'm like i just learned it you know like i learned it from doing it and or from the internet mm-hmm and I got the information that I wanted and I applied it as opposed to, you know, I went to this school and I took the tests that they gave me and I learned the, the lessons that they taught. And I just, I kind of wonder, well, I guess I'd really need to know who was teaching the lesson. And I don't know, it just seems like a, a, a huge risk to me. This, this reminds me of a anecdote that I kind of forget how how many of the details I remember correctly. So, you know, maybe about a bunch of it's off, but something about it is true. And it's funny from uh, working at iStock that there was a photographer that lives in a country that I do not remember. It's Eastern Europe, I believe that light, uh, that being a photographer is a trade that requires a license to nice. practice. Like, uh, I don't know what is like that here, but like, uh, I don't know, a doctor <laughs> or are plumbers like that? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Plumbers. It's like that. You need to be a licensed photographer. Technician. <laughs> and he was selling on iStock photo and running into legal issues with his government because he was practicing professional photography without a license. 
<laughs> and <laughs> so interesting to me, you know. That's that that does not sound like freedom. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's it really weird. <laughs> Although I, I will I will have to admit that it in, in sound terms like such of, a bad idea, does it? Not, sometimes it doesn't. Because you think about like wedding photography mm-hmm. and like somebody should be vetted for that stuff, you know? Because I mean, you, you know, you hear about these you hear about these people who steal other photographers' photos and create websites, you know, and, and they're posing as like, yeah, this is my work and they didn't shoot any of it. And then they, you know, they get a, a deposit and everything and then they run. Mm-hmm. Um I I don't know. Like I, I think that like photography, especially when when digital became a thing, I think that that it ruined a lot of people's livelihoods. Um, and some of that was was deserved, <laughs> frankly. Right. Um, and so, like, I'm not I'm not bitter about that because I mean, it was just like, well, you know, things change, and if you can't adapt, then then you know, that's figure you know, it out. Yeah, you have to. That's just how life goes. Like, you can't rest on your laurels. Um, but. You know, when it comes to taking portraiture or, you know, <laughs> doing, you know, restaurant food, any of these, you know, service type photography jobs, like events, like you kind of, you really do have to know what you're doing, you know, and it, and it kind of seems like that, that, um, the public should kind of be protected, right? Yeah. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm kind of with you, but not actually, but kind of, but not really. Right. I, I mean, because I, I don't have my license. I didn't go to school, so I'd be I'd be out on the street. But I did but, go to school, you know. but I don't think that it has anything to do with the photographer that I became. Mm-hmm. I did most of my learning on my own time. One of my one of my friends, like I, I remember when I was starting my program at, at the community college, and and I had this friend who was he was really pushy, kind of type A guy, and. uh he was always like, he was either like really against you or really on your team. And so, you know, uh, he was just totally telling me like, why do you need to, to waste all your money and go to, to school? You can go to the library and get everything you need, and learn mm-hmm. it all on your own. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, that's not the way you do it. And to be honest with you, at this stage of my life, I'm like, no, that's totally right. Yeah. You go <laughs> in the internet library. Yeah. I mean, you don't need, you know, like, uh, you don't need any of that. You don't need a school. You don't need any of that stuff to to learn anything. All mm-hmm. you need is is well, you do need to have basic education. Okay, first yeah, right. <laughs> right. You need you to know your maths. Have, yeah, you or you know logic, basic logic. Mm-hmm. You know? Um, and then you can really, I think you can do anything, in, at least in terms of photography. I don't think you need to to go to school for it at all. Yeah, I agree. But now that we've covered uh, now that we've covered all of our non topics. Do you, do you do you have a choice of uh, non photography things this week, or maybe non music things too? Because we talked a lot about music last week. Um, I'm kind of embarrassed. Oh, but I'm also you know I, I try not to to hide my flaws too much because mm-hmm. they make me stronger in character or something like that. That's what I tell myself. About a week or two ago, we downloaded minecraft for my son oh. you know, they're like uh, let's just you know he's probably not ready for it but let's for just the first see. time like yeah. he's has he never played it before no and you know neither had i we never seen it you know and so then i realized quickly that oh you need to be able to, to read <laughs> right so you know and that's so that's, you played it for him yeah so i would well we play together and um 
And then, you know, I, I discovered that like every night after he went to bed, I'd, I'd play it for about another hour. <laughs> so <laughs> is your recommendation going to be just Minecraft period? <laughs> no, it's, it's not a recommendation. It's more of like a warning. Mm-hmm. It's like a, a, a parent warning. Like, no, I mean, I think it's <laughs> parental warning. There's, I think that as far as video games go, like this has a lot to offer for a kid. But it is a total like you will it you can lose so much time on this stupid thing. I am a hundred percent behind you. Like most of the adults I've heard have conversations about this on the podcast I listen to. They mm-hmm. look at it from a perspective where they see their kids doing it. and They're like, ah, I don't really get it, but it seems like they're being more productive than with most other video games. So it's probably not a waste of time. Like at least they're building stuff. Yeah, creativity. Yeah, you know, and there is something to that. But when I've played it and gotten into it, yeah, time can just flow through your fingers. Like, hours just disappear and all you right. did was clear out a huge room. Right. And you're right. And I, I just, I noticed a couple times in a row, right? A couple days in a row that I was just like, oh my God, you know, it's past bedtime. <laughs> I just did this for five hours. Right. Yeah. And just feeling like. And all I did was dig a moat. Right. And you feel like a complete fool. Yeah. You know, but then the next the next time that I turn it on with with my son, I'm like, oh, you got to see the library I built. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like- I found that w- that with Minecraft, the few times that I've gone kind of deep into it and and played it for a a period of time, mm-hmm. I end up getting more of a hangover than usual from it where oh, that yeah. that regret of like well, how much time did I waste is much more severe than with say a narrative game. Yeah. Um, cause I look around the world that I've created in Minecraft and it's really nothing. It's just a pile of dirt and rocks Pixels. and does not look like anything in my narrative games. <laughs> like it's right. not, I didn't even create anything interesting. Nobody else would want to see this. <laughs> and it took me a hundred hours. Um, right. And you were sucked in the whole time. Just, yeah. I just need a little bit more of that. So yeah, <laughs> it just, it feels like, yeah. I don't know. <laughs> I really enjoy it. Like I get it. I get why it's the phenomenon it is, but I should probably stay away from it. Oh, it's it's like crack. Yeah. It's not good for you. And that's the thing is that yeah, you do feel bad after you do it. Mm-hmm. Like even, you know, uh a couple times where, you know, he and I like didn't it's just the exact same thing we were playing, didn't even realize that that several hours went by and then we're oh my god. Um, and I'm feeling like the worst parent, you know, cause like we're sitting there in front of a, a screen for drooling. You know? Yeah. And then, you know, we walk away, go upstairs and he's like, he's like, Oh, I got a headache. And I'm like, Oh my God, I'm the worst parent. <laughs> I'm going like, blind. Yeah. Like, what am I doing? <laughs> so you put him to bed and went back to playing. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> no, a couple of times I really did. You know, and that's, it was just like, I don't know. So where are you at right now? How long ago was this that you started? Uh, about uh, about a week and a half ago, so you know we still don't know what we're doing. I mean, I I've, I've already built you know a fortress, and I last time I was playing, I got I tried to take my mining skills to the next level mm-hmm. and started doing some really complicated shaft mining. I was pretty proud of mm-hmm. where I'd like stagger layers on either side, so I could like climb up the sides of my mine that was four stories tall, and then go down like these deep tunnels and. Oh yeah, I was doing way more than that. Come on. Well, 
I don't know. I did a, I, I did some very heavy duty excavation on my last project and I was pretty proud of it, but that's kind of my point is nobody else cares. <laughs> it's kind of like trying to explain your dreams to somebody. Um, it's like, yeah, look at my Minecraft. It's, it looks like exactly <laughs> the same mess as ever. It basically looks like the same world I started with, except something has, there's some shape to it. <laughs> uh, it's just so funny. We walk upstairs and, and, and my son yells to his mom. He's like, mom, we got the diamond pickaxe and we, we dug up obsidian. <laughs> and she's like, that's awesome, dude. You know, I'm like, oh my God. It's like, so what do we proud do? of you. But I think that, you know, sometimes, um, I don't know. I know that you're a, you're a game player, so Mm -hmm. you, you probably get this as much as I do. It's just that sometimes, you know, I think people like us put so much into our work that, um, it's kind of like playing a game, you know, like that's how I treated stock photography when I got started is that like, I treated it like a video game. Cause I was like, okay, so I produce these things and then I get rewarded for them Mm -hmm. and it's all happening in this digital space. And like, I'm in control of everything except it's a real reward. (laughs) Right. But I was always, you know, good at, at like figuring out, you know, how to, to accomplish the game, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. you know, so, you know, like I, I think that, that in terms of stock photography, I, I kind of looked at it like a game because when I started, like, you know, I was into, I was into cameras and I was into, you know, photography and the history of photography, but I had no ambitions about what I wanted to shoot. Right. Like mm-hmm. I was just like, I like cameras. I, you know, I like photography. I don't know what I'm going to shoot. Um, and I didn't want to, to put, uh, a label on it or, you know, say like, well, I'm going to be this kind of photographer. It just didn't appeal to me. Cause I was just like, well, I just like doing it. Well, the point I'm at now with games is I have absolutely no time to play them. And right. the, even as I crave them, like I, I keep thinking that, uh, the last of us came out like three years ago now, and I'm just a third of the way into it. And <laughs> I, and I was so excited for this game and I have no time to play it. And that, kind of it pulls me and i I want to go to it and play it and still when i do it's like you know i could also be using the exact same finger actions to be creating something completely new that's right i could be creating a podcast you know i could be editing that shoot that i was i was going through photos from our trips to asia last year and just looking at like half of the great content like half of the good stuff went nowhere like it's, it is going to rot on this hard drive because I will never spend the time to go through it. That sucks. And there's so much stuff like that that like if I just – it feels like I could just work forever and there's always more stuff to create. Like Minecraft except it's reality. <laughs> right. No, that's, that's – yeah, that's about – that's what it's like to be a working photographer. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you, you have to accomplish your jobs and um, – yeah, I don't know. And sometimes the the you know, I had a friend ask me this week. He's just like, "Hey, where are those pictures that that we shot, you know, for stock? Where when am I going to see those?" I was like, "Uh, yeah, I haven't even like <laughs> downloaded them. I haven't even filled out the model release or yeah. You know, like I, you know, just so far behind. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I'm actually I'm I'm several weeks behind in my in my stock shoots. I have so much that I could be working on and uploading. And I'm just like, eh, I'll get to it when I can because I'm working like, you know, between my freelance work and, and my job. Yeah. Um, yeah. There's just not, there's no time. And in fact, I'm, I'm, uh, 
oh my god, this week is crazy. I'm I'm getting ready to do a commercial shoot for the next three days, and uh, wow, I just I I you know like I've done a lot of commercial work, but this one has a different kind of. There's too many moving parts, mm-hmm. and it's uh, it's a situation where luckily my wife is involved and she's helping to project manage it because oh my gosh. Mm-hmm. When you have to, when you're working for for layers of clients, and then you have, you know, what six models, a couple different assistants, hair and makeup, wardrobe. Wow! And then getting all the schedules together, and then with the locations because it's a commercial lifestyle shoot, and we need right. to do it on location, and those locations have their own time constraints and, and concerns. Mm-hmm. It's a lot of stuff. And uh, it's it's incredibly stressful, and I think that you know going into this job, we hadn't done anything on that scale. Uh, we had, but it was all food related, and so it was stuff that that um, for the most part we could manage it on our time. And this was just the the complete opposite of that, and we're learning so much. It's such a learning, and, and also I think that we we probably should have charged a lot more. <laughs> yeah. Well, just and even the in this time, and there's two of you putting the time to it as well, right? Yeah. Well, and I think that you know when when the whole thing started, you know they wanted I don't know this pile of things, right? Scope creep, <laughs> right? So they wanted. Well, actually, I mean, we had to we had to chisel it down a lot mm-hmm. because we we're like, no, no, not gonna happen, not gonna happen. <laughs> like this isn't you know you're way 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 under budget. And so, you know, we, we got them to cut it down to about a fifth of what they had originally wanted and, you know, sold them on the idea of quality over quantity and whatnot. And, you know, just basically said, like, look, it doesn't make sense for us to shoot all of this for that much money because, you know, if we're going to do all that work, we just do this for stock and then and make way more money in the long run. Yeah. Um, so. <laughs> But we ended up working at a deal, but then still, after all of that, I'm, I'm realizing, you know what? It's still too much work for that much money. Right. Mm-hmm. And you know, that's, that's, I don't know. Yeah. That's well, it, it wouldn't have mattered. Like, I, they just, I wouldn't have gotten the job because they had a fixed budget. Sure. Yeah. And they were like, this is our budget. What can we get? Mm-hmm. And, you know, luckily, they, you know, they, they loved my work. So that was, you know, that was the main factor is that they're like, look, we just, you know, we think that you are the the only photographer in the area that can capture this aesthetic that we want. Yeah. And so that was, you know, that was nice. And it was, I'm glad that they stuck with me, even though, you know, we had to, to change their mind a lot, but yeah. Oh my gosh. Like reality, there's just so much work, so much, so much Minecraft. Yeah, totally. I think that you know the the whole the whole Minecraft thing is just like after ten hours of going absolutely nuts, it's just nice to not to just just put yourself on autopilot and yeah. and like because you know I can't I can't just go and like put my head down on the pillow because then you know that's that's when things are the worst for me. You know, I, I, go, I try to go to sleep and it's just like all the ideas start happening right there. Mm. Yeah, and, when I have a big project I'm excited about, especially the night before that commercial shoot, um, we're Alan and I were up till three a.m. prepping, and the call time was eight, but we had to pick up the equipment at seven, and I woke up at four thirty, <laughs> so it was all, you know it was virtually zero sleep because like 
I was just so um, focused on it. Like, yeah, there's so much to think about. I'm like, what am I forgetting? What am I forgetting? What am I forgetting? Especially if it's not like at your studio or close by. Yeah. Yeah. And not something you do every day. I mean, for me and like, yeah. Yeah. Forgetting your batteries. (laughs) Oh God. Yeah. And so many batteries. Um, yeah. For so many different things. Um, I'm going to maybe, I'm going to wrap up a couple different picks into my thing that were from that shoot. Mm -hmm. I already talked about the, these are going to be all pretty video centric, obviously. Um, I talked about the Kinos already. That was really great to work with. The HMIs kind of sat on the shelf. I know they can be incredibly useful, but it just was not at all what we needed for shooting office interiors. And um, I did buy a new piece of gear for this, which is the Tascam. How does the model number go? I get it wrong sometimes. DR70D. There's two Ds, which is why it's weird. Um, And this is an audio recorder. So Tascam is actually the company that I had like a little uh, cassette multi-track from in like high school. Did, did you yeah. ever have a Tascam? Several. Yeah. They're like, they're, I, those things were so amazing to a teenager. Like it looks like a real mixing board. It's got all the dials and the sliders and you can do multi-track to, you know, just record over your race of bass tape and uh, create music. <laughs> totally. I had the uh, 424 MK2. Oh, you remember? <laughs> I don't remember yeah. what I had. Uh, it was the, it was the, the best one. Four it two was, four. I, it was the two. best. It was the best four track recorder. Oh, that, yes, they, that is exactly the one I had. I had that and one it was too. Huge, right? Yeah, yeah. And it was all on a little cassette tape. It was mm-hmm. hysterical. Well, and the one that uh, I, I would use with my friend, he had the one larger, the eight track version. So it's even oh. bigger. Um, but it was great. It was amazing. Like it was the best technology. Anyway, so now this little one, the. Uh, DR70D is well. It's four tracks. It's the size of what's it the size of it? the The shape of it is meant to fit under your camera, between your tripod and your camera. So <laughs> it's about the width of a little bit wider than a 5D um, in in both dimensions, but fits comfortably under it. And you know, an in, inch and a bit, an inch and a half, maybe tall. Um, with four XLR ins, all with really clean preamps. They all have phantom power. Um, you can obviously monitor separately and then also send an in and out to your camera. Uh, like it just kind of does all the stuff you wouldn't expect the modern digital recorder to do. And I'm, I'm just like in love with it. The, the beginning of these things was, well, not the beginning. The, the first one that got everybody excited and the one that I had was the Zoom H. 4N, right, mm-hmm. and that's the really popular one that most people have. I still, I still have one right now, um, but there was some major drawbacks uh, to do four tracks. You couldn't do four XLR tracks. You could, um, you had to just plug in through like a little uh, eighth of an inch jack, and the preamps weren't, um, they weren't very clean. There'd be a lot of noise in the floor, mm-hmm. uh, and this is a m- much cleaner noise output. Um, so yeah, this is what we used for the audio for it. So this is the one thing I, I purchased. Okay. Um, and then some really awesome rentals were the, the Shogun monitor. Uh, so this is a video monitor and, uh, you should, uh, go, like pull it up, pull up a photo of it. Well, okay. I'm talking, so you know what I'm talking about? Cause monitors like this aren't really used in stills, but they're big, they become really important in video and, you know, it's just to see what you're doing. You need to know that this is going to turn out the way that you think. Uh, and oh, this wow. thing, yeah, this thing's just over $2,000, which is an, really an excellent price. It is also a recorder. So if you buy the full package, it comes with 
these little hard drives that mount into the back and um, you can record in like ProRes and in multiple high quality formats in 4k it's a big touch screen and you can just turn on things like all of your waveforms or uh, histograms or like you you know just measuring exactly where your exposure is at you can turn on uh, focus peaking, which highlights what part of the image is in focus. It's really important for moving shots and trying to keep focus when you can't just tell with your eye. Um, okay. it, it obviously does playback. It is like audio monitoring. It's like the, it's the, it can be the little hub of where all of the signals go in and out of to know what you're capturing. And it was, it was really beautiful to work with. It was nice to really nice to see the image on such a beautiful screen as we're recording. Um, so yeah, it's awesome. Yeah. It's, it's a really fun toy and you almost like, I wish I, I wish there was a reason to have it for photography. (laughs) No, (laughs) no, but it's cool. It's not, it's, it's great to preview your stuff on it though. It's really nice. Sure. Um, I mean for video, it's obviously amazing. Yeah. Uh, and but we didn't record to it. We recorded it to camera, and for the camera we were renting was the Sony FS7, which I'm still in love with, and I've talked about a few times here. Uh, it, I think for video cameras for the next while, every time I can, I'm just going to keep renting that. I'm not going to buy it. I don't do enough video work to justify it, but I love working with it, and yeah, I will rent that as often as I can get somebody else to pay for it. <laughs> right. I think that's, uh, in terms of professional gear, I'm kind of wondering if that's not usually the way to go. You know, I think that uh, I, I don't know. Like, I wish that I had rented a lot of lenses that I bought. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. It's, uh, easier to not. It, you can make less mistakes that way. Mm. Yeah, I just have that that weird old school mentality of having to have it having to be mine. Right. Yeah, to I feel, know. Me too. To feel well, picking up and dropping it. off these rentals was so stressful for me. Like, I would love to have not spent all that time thinking about it and like just counting cables and making sure that I have everything to bring and everything to drop off. Like there's way more stress because I, I wasn't, I didn't have that comfort level cause I don't work with it every week. I don't, you know, it just, it was, it's very different when it's not your gear. I really do prefer to own it myself. Yeah. I, there's another layer as well is that I think that with quality equipment, Mm-hmm. Generally speaking, it, it retains most of its value. So sometimes when you're renting it, you feel like you're losing money. Right. Well, the funny thing yeah. with Sony right now is they are, eh, well, this is all cameras, I guess. It's not just Sony, but, uh, you know, with all cameras, there's this thing called like digital rot where every week you own your camera, its value dips. Um, because the the lenses yeah. stay valuable, but the actual bodies just there's so much turnover that nothing really stays top of the line for long. But Sony has been very willing to just kill all of their previous cameras very quickly. Um, so much more mm-hmm. expensive cameras are quickly uh, leapfrogged by lower budget cameras. So this one. Mm-hmm. I am. I always kind of mix up the numbers, but I think it was the F. It's either the F five or fifty five uh, Sony that, or whatever. What what's, somebody somebody else knows this because I've never used this camera. But there's a Sony that is just above it and costs closer to twenty thousand dollars. And they the, the FS seven is eight thousand and basically matches it and also passes it in certain ways. So yeah, the F five 
Anyway, so, uh, yeah, it's been, it's not a safe time to invest a lot of money into a camera body because it's going to be replaced. You know that it is pretty quickly. Yeah. So I'm just going to live well, with the rentals it, it, for now. I'm, I'm going to correct you. I'm going to say a digital camera body. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's right. <laughs> I knew that, that, that that's obvious, but uh, yeah, I but, think yeah. now is, is, is still a pretty safe time to, uh, <laughs> yeah. to Every, buy a film yeah. body. Yeah, those they're pretty stable price wise, I'd say. Oh well, I guess unless you're talking about like film itself. Why? Well, why is not film itself now? Wait, what? Oh well, I guess I don't know what you mean. What do you except for film itself? What do you mean by that? Well, I'm just saying, like, how long do we know that it's going to remain in production? Mm, yeah, that's right. Yeah, that's what I worry yeah. about investing in something really amazing, like a, uh, say, a Leica. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, I, if I'm spending that kind of money, I expect it to last like 20, 40 years. And you I don't know. I get it. You know, I mean, there's so few people shooting. <laughs> yeah. There's you and that other guy. Well, there's a community. <laughs> I know. I know. I, the, the, but, you know, you've seen it now. So, you you know, that like there's something to it. Mm-hmm. You know, it, oh, there's yeah, a. Definitely. <laughs> So if you want to see what so, there is to it, you should go to the show notes at stallman.com slash cameras or whatever slash 30. Right on. Wow. Really? Yeah. Big, big, oh. big 30. Big 3 Yeah. Yeah. 